Why did a shell contractor just leave the company? And how are U.S. car companies lobbying for domestic battery production? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Wednesday, May 25th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate events. People in Brazil's Amazon are dealing with flooding again for the second year in a row. The flooding is caused by heavy rainfall associated with the La Nina. The Amazon's largest city, Manoas, has seen seven of its worst floods in the last decade. It's been tracking floods since 1902. An estimated 367,000 people have been affected by flooding in the Brazilian Amazon alone. 35 municipalities in the Amazon state have declared a state of emergency. Further north, more than 150,000 Canadians are still without power after a severe storm hit the Ontario area this weekend. 10 people died from the storm, and schools have had to close due to lack of power. The storm also birthed a tornado that decimated the historic city of Uxbridge. Now on to some climate studies. A new study by the World Weather Attribution Network found that the deadly heat waves plaguing India and Pakistan are 30 times more likely to occur thanks to climate change. If the global temperature reaches 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, the area can expect to see one every five years. This March was the hottest March India has seen since it began recording 122 years ago. This early onset heat paired with low rainfall will decimate the country's food production, which will impact the global food system as a whole. Since India shut down its wheat exports due to heat waves and flooding, the global price of wheat went up by 6%. Switching gears, a study published in the journal Science Advances found that wetlands are starting to drown as the sea level rises. Wetlands are extremely important carbon-storing ecosystems that also protect coastlines from storm surges. Scientists have kept an eye on the marsh in Maryland's Chesapeake Bay for the last 30 years to see how the combination of more carbon dioxide, which promotes more photosynthesis and growth, and sea level rise impacts local vegetation. They found that for a while, the increased growth rate was successfully counteracting the rising seas, but now the plants are failing to keep up. Their findings suggest that we could lose 20 to 50% of wetlands to sea level rise by the end of the century. This study changes the way scientists view the influx of CO2, which many thought would help wetlands adapt to climate change. It's time for some climate victories. The United Nations International Maritime Organization has agreed to put a price on carbon for shipping, an industry that accounts for 3% of global emissions. Without any action, the industry is expected to increase its emissions by anywhere from 90 to 130% by 2050. The carbon pricing system would involve pricing emissions from fuel production to consumption on board a ship. Now countries have to come together on a price for carbon, which will need to be high enough to spur mass adoption of low carbon options. The world's biggest container shipping company, Marisic, has called for a $150 per ton levy while several island nations have proposed $100 per ton. Meanwhile, Egypt just announced that it will allow protests at the next UN climate conference, COP27, which will take place this November. The country also said it will push countries to make good on pledges and facilitate, quote, non-adversarial talks. 
Egypt has been scrambling to make new climate agreements with other countries ahead of the talks. In March, Egypt and Norway signed an agreement to produce green hydrogen and build green infrastructure in African countries. Egypt and the clean energy company Skatik signed a memorandum of understanding around that time as well to build a plant in the Suez Canal to produce green ammonia from green hydrogen. Egypt mostly runs on fossil fuels and hydropower. In the private sector, a Shell oil contractor resigned after sending an email to over a thousand Shell employees and the CEO warning that the company was being reckless. Quote, the United Nations and the International Energy Agency are clear. There is no safe level of new oil and gas extraction. Any new projects commit us to global overheating and an unlivable world. Contrary to Shell's public expressions around net zero, and as most of you will know from the inside, Shell is not winding down oil and gas, but planning to explore and extract much more. It pains me to end this working relationship, which I have greatly valued, but I can no longer work for a company that ignores all of the alarms and dismisses the risk of climate change and ecological collapse. End quote. Shell insists they're moving towards being net zero by 2050, but that, of course, doesn't include indirect emissions created by their products. The company claims that it peaked in its oil production in 2019, but its gas business is still set to expand. The contractor worked to evaluate the safety culture on projects and said she quit after she was assigned to work on two new fossil fuel projects under construction in Nigeria. She contacted the Extinction Rebellion, which has a campaign going to get people working for fossil fuel companies to leave their jobs. Over in the U.S., a bunch of top car companies like General Motors, Ford, and Tesla have joined forces with battery companies like Panasonic, Form Energy, and Proterra in forming the Coalition for American Battery Independence. The coalition, run by the lobbying firm Boundary Stone Partners, will provide cohesive support for everything from raw material processing to component manufacturing to creating battery packs to boost domestic production. The group wants Congress to pass tax incentives for manufacturing and processing and support Biden using the Defense Production Act to increase domestic mineral supply. Federally, President Biden launched the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity with 12 nations, including Japan, South Korea, and India. The group has four pillars of focus, and clean energy and decarbonization is one of them. Now, usually climate focuses are loudly talked about, but hardly ever actually addressed in agreements like these. So we'll see if anything comes from this agreement. Now for a few climate fails. Brazil announced it will start its own carbon market to reduce emissions. Brazil is the sixth largest greenhouse gas polluter in the world, so this could be a big deal, except the plan is short on details and ignores the biggest climate driver in Brazil, which is Amazon deforestation. Deforestation in the Amazon increased by 22% last year. Brazil has committed to reducing emissions by 43% by 2030, but in 2020, it actually increased its emissions rate by 9.5%, while the rest of the world's emissions dropped by 7% that year. In the U.S., climate activists are accusing a White House-backed liquefied natural gas, or LNG, task force of not abiding by the transparency requirements for federal advisory committees. The task force was formed in March to look at ways the U.S. can boost gas supplies to help the European Union get off Russian gas. 
The anti-corruption group Global Witness penned a letter to Biden over this issue, while environmental groups have submitted open records requests. The concern is that the natural gas industry has too much influence over group decisions. A person familiar with the matter said that there's no industry representation in the group, but the LNG exporter Chenier Energy Inc. is considered one of the group's active partners. Let's finish off with one more climate victory. The U.S.-based clean energy data startup Arcadia just bought the commercial energy data provider Urganet with the money it got from J.P. Morgan and others earlier this month. I covered the $200 million funding J.P. Morgan led for Arcadia on May 11th, so you can learn a little more about it if you go to that one. But Arcadia helps energy consumers connect to clean energy in their area, circumventing utility monopolies. Through this process, the company has developed an elaborate data set of hundreds of electric utilities called the ARC, which covers 80% of utility customers in the U.S. While this integration with Urganet brings them up to 95% and adds the data of 9,500 utilities in 52 countries. So Arcadia will soon be able to provide energy consumers a way to connect to clean energy in their areas all over the U.S. and beyond. I recommend checking them out if you want to connect to clean energy in your area. And that was the climate news for Wednesday, May 25th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel, which I promise I'll post videos on soon. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.